0: In the heart of a champion, there is a fire.
1: Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken together where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And that is the theme of today's Code of Man podcast episode. This is Mike Overtrek Barnett flying solo in the introduction today as we get ready to share with you a discussion that Easy Target and I had on boldness to stand in the Word of God. And that is exactly what I was reading there in Acts chapter 4 about Peter and John and then the rest of the church as they prayed and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost came and shook that place because they were praying and speaking the word of God with boldness. God honors boldness in our life. And it was recorded for our radio program called Daybreak Devotions. We were in Psalm 119 in verses 153 through 160. And in this, you really see the writer expressing this holy boldness about his life, basically saying, I have been faithful to your word, Lord. And, and I'm I'm trusting you to stand by me and and be in, in, on my side. And I was just thinking about that. It's almost unthinkable by some in our modern way of thinking that a man could make such a bold declaration about himself. It would be interpreted as arrogance and pride and, or self-righteousness, but it's not. It's a confidence in the truth. It's boldness in God's word. One of the, our favorite passages, Second Peter chapter 1, says that God has given us all these precious promises and all things that pertain unto life and godliness so that we can be partakers of the divine nature. As we were doing that radio program, I thought to myself, I would love to share this with others who are listening to our, would listen to our Code of Man podcast. And so that's what I want to do today. This is one of those shorter episodes, which will give you a little bit of break, but I, I believe it'll be meaningful and impactful in your life. So we'll join that discussion between Easy Target and I right now. Let's, uh, let's look at Psalm 119. We've been in this for a few weeks now, and uh, deservedly and rightly so. This is a l- the longest chapter of the Bible. It's the chapter of the Bible about the Bible. Today we're in verse 153 through 160. Let me introduce it by reading the two verses I think capture specifically what um, I gleaned from this. And that would be verse 153. Consider mine affliction and deliver me for I do not forget thy law. Verse 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. And as I look at this psalm, there are two things I see here. David, or the writer, I guess we should leave it open, is saying, see my affliction and see my love. See my affliction, see my love. It is comforting to just think about that God can see both of those things. Yes. Because those are two, two areas, not the only two, but those are two areas that probably create as much of a battle in our soul as anything else.
2: It is the the war against insignificancy. I don't know if that's a, a real word or and not. And insecurity. That's definitely a real word. Well, and But I mean yes and that word. Yes. They both are a part of it. Because I think it's... It is a very common and very powerful lie of the enemy to put into your mind that you are irrelevant. You're a nobody. Nobody sees you. You don't matter. But what a liberating joy it is to know that the single most important person in the entire universe cares intimately and deeply about you. All of a sudden now puts that into a whole new perspective of saying, you know what? What does it matter if insignificant man doesn't recognize me? What does it matter if, if they don't see me? What does it matter if they don't know how much I love God? The only thing that matters is that the most important person in the universe sees what I'm going through and he cares very deeply about it, and he sees the love that I have for him, and it warms his heart to see that. Well, and
1: you have to remember, too, um, I, I mean, just to, to add to that thought If God genuinely cares, and he does, and sees and loves in spite of all that we may be feeling, experiencing, or even questioning, not only does God care, but those who love God care. Yes. Now, we do so imperfectly. We do so through lens of sometimes our own afflictions, our own doubts, but we love each other because of the love of God in us. This is a great place to plug in the importance of the church. Not yes. just coming to church services, but the church, the life of the community of faith. This is why we need one another. But our afflictions will cause us to wilt and doubt and question. When we suffer sometimes, when we are doing without, or when we've been misunderstood, or we've been falsely accused or judged, you know, that affliction hurts and it causes us to wonder about, you know, our significance, our security. And then we sometimes think, you know, like, I know I love God, but does God know I love God? Mm-hmm. And the, the answer to that question is yes. He understands your love for him better than you do. He knows the depth of your love. He sees the reality of a love that you've not yet tapped into because that love is real. The problem is it's buried under a like a, like a mudslide yeah. of just life and experiences and the carnal nature and not only your carnal nature, but the carnal nature of others. But God sees through every bit of that. He, he knows the depth and the reality of that love. And so we rejoice in that. We thank God for it. I think the opposite then of the insecurity and the feelings of insignificance is what he, he is showing us in this section, the writer, because it's the boldness that he has to stand in the word. The plea here is a defense that he is making in the word, a defense against his suffering, a defense against accusation is verse 155. Now, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. It's a defense against the accusation of enemies and accusers, verse 154 and 155. It's a plea for defense against pers- the persecution, like when it moves from just accusation to now I'm being persecuted by my enemies, um, yet he says, "Do I not decline from thy testimonies?" That's his defense. It's a or a defense against uh, betrayal. Verse one fifty-eight. Man, you talk about something that's hard. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. He sees in the people around him those who are not being true, and that that affects his heart. But he is going to stand in the word of God in every case. It's a plea to. Or, or the on the grounds of, and this is the part we've talked about a few times, he's got the boldness to say, I have been faithful to your word. Now, full disclosure, we all know this. Let's say it out loud. This writer nor any of us have per- perfectly obeyed God's word. Right. So we know that's not what he's saying. But it goes back to the whole idea of things like course correction, mm-hmm. things like, the desire for your life to be defined by God's Word. It's not that he's perfectly obeyed everything, got everything right all the time, and nobody else has done it like he has. No, it's that he he has as his core attribute this faithfulness to God that is unrelenting, and that's where he's standing. He's saying, I know, God, that I've been faithful to you, and I know you're faithful to me, and regardless of all this that I'm going through, you're going to Take care of me, and I can be bold in this.
2: Yes. I think everybody succumbs to distraction, but there's a difference in being distracted and getting refocused and never being on the right path to begin with. And I think that's what you see with the psalmist here is he knows I'm on the right path. And sometimes I've got to realign my eyes and and my heart and my focus back to where I need to be. But you know, Lord, this is my path. This is the only path that I've chosen, and I have chosen it wholeheartedly. I'm with you, marching along for you and alongside you.
1: I'm pretty sure that right now there are numbers, scores of people listening to the radio who are in the middle of something in life, circumstances or people, that they're feeling this. (coughs)
2: It's like the uh, Snoopy and the Red Baron.
1: Yes, or like Alf's uh, uncle, who lived on the south side of Melmac. Oh. If he didn't like your shoes... (coughs) Wow, that's pretty harsh. To which Willie said, You mean your uncle would kill a guy for not liking his shoes? To which Alf replied, No, he'd just look at you and go... (coughs) (laughs) Shout out to all you 80s (laughs) television family sitcom watchers. Oh, goodness. Oh. Well, you gotta have something on Monday. Anyway, back to the boldest. But but I thought of that really because of it feels that way. And everybody you know, people are listening right now that have things in their life, circumstances or whatever, where you feel that you're under that attack. Yeah. And it's just relentless fire coming down. And it might be a relationship that you're in. It might be financial struggles or it might be something to do with your job or just your neighbor your neighborhood. You know, this neighbor on the left hand side doesn't get along with the one on the right hand side, and both of them want you to take their side. And it's just like, ah! Well, here's the thing we need boldness, and that boldness only comes from God's word. I want to read this quote. Um, this comes from an article uh, entitled, Lord, Make Me More Bold by John Bloom. The reason I I want to read this is I like how he describes this. What is Christian boldness? Boldness in the biblical sense is not a personality trait. Now, I interrupt the reading to say, if we talk about being bold in the Word of God, some people think, well, that's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not a bold person. Well, that's what he's saying here. Boldness in the biblical sense is not a personality trait. A typically soft-spoken, introverted, calm person can be bold at a time when a typically driven, outspoken, brash person shrinks back, interrupting the reading again. I mean, we've seen that before. You know, it's not about, you know, well, you know, he's just just a more vibrant personality. He's more, you know, outspoken than I am. And I just don't think I'll have that, quote, holy boldness. Here's what John Bloom says. Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. So there are three things he he said there about what what real Christian or holy boldness is. Spirit-empowered conviction, courage, and urgency. Mm -hmm. And he says if one of those ingredients is missing, we won't act boldly. Now here's my question. Why do we read the Bible? And I'm going to answer that question this way. All three of those things, spirit-empowered, conviction, courage, and urgency, are the fruit of our reading and meditating and studying the Scriptures. So the reason this guy has such boldness and can talk about his stand in God's Word, I mean, it sounds like, duh, but it's because he has been living in God's Word. Right. When the time comes that he needs to draw the sword to fight the enemy. By the way, who's our enemy? Satan, our flesh, mm-hmm. the world system. When the time comes to fight the enemy, he has the ammo to draw. He has treasured God's word in his heart. You know, when, I, when I think about treasury, I, I like that old meaning of an armory. Yep. And I know it can mean you know like a bank and gold, but he's got a treasury. He's got an armory of weapons there because it is in his heart. So I ask the question again: Why do we read the Bible? People might have different ideas about that. Do we read it just to say we've read it? Do we read it just to say we we have knowledge about the Bible, or do we read the Bible to learn who God is, to learn what God expects, and to open ourselves up to the influence and the feeling of the
2: Holy Spirit, so we can walk in power, light, and love with Christ? And I think asking yourself that question—you know—to use the phrase you just used a little bit earlier. Maybe may be kind of like, duh. But it's an important question to ask because it is so easy to take for granted. Well, I, I read it because I, I'm supposed to. Christ, Christians read the Bible. And this isn't a, a, a slam or a rock throw. I, I think the overwhelming majority of people, even on the way of the devout heart, would say that at different points and times in their life, that would have been the honest answer to their question was, why? Well, I'm supposed to, but by asking ourselves that question, it forces us to reevaluate our priorities. Okay, well, that may be the way that I'm answering it, but that's not why I want to do this. I want it to be for the reasons that were just listed, to get that spirit empowerment, that urgency, that, that conviction. That's what I want. Well, then now our desires are changing so that our time of reading will become far more productive because we're putting conscience thought into it.
1: The Hebrew writer says that we're to come boldly before the throne uh, to find uh, mercy and grace to help in a time of need. And I think about what he says here in uh, verse 154, plead my cause and deliver me. There's a boldness in his request to ask God to intervene on his behalf. And it's just got me thinking, how many people don't feel like they could even approach God with that kind of a bold request? Sure. Sure. Because they're not, they may not, you know, maybe the question we have to back up to is not why do you read the Bible, but are you reading the Bible? Mm -hmm. You have to start there. Are you reading the Bible? One of the most basic challenges we can lay down to our brothers and sisters is are you spending time reading God's Word? You know, however you want to approach it with a reading plan, with this idea of I'm going to just read for a certain amount of time, just reading a couple of verses, but you know, are you reading it? If you're not there, you're certainly not going to be able to move to this boldness that this guy has here. When he can plead and say, you know, or, or he can he can boldly come and say, Plead my cause, deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. As we discussed before we came on, his request here is is God, be my advocate, get up there like Ben Matlock and and defend me to these people. Yeah you know, Ben Matlock, he rarely lost. There was a time or two, but he had some boldness in the courtroom. That's my second reference to uh, 80s uh, 80s television television. today. (laughs) But anyway, I'll point this out and, and yield the floor. He says, as I said earlier, he's declaring in this, I've been faithful to your word. And I was just writing down a few things that would kind of expound in what that means. How has he been faithful to the word of God. Well, in verse 153, he says, I remember your instructions. You know, I do not forget thy law. That is faithfulness to remember what God has said. Now, how do we do that? Well, number one, we can memorize scripture, but we got to come back to that most basic question. Are we reading the Bible? We Mm -hmm. cannot remember what has not been treasured in our heart. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I've said, but we've got to listen and know what he said. All right, secondly, uh, how has he been faithful to the word? Verse 156, he says, I am revived by obedience. Greater thy tender mercies, O Lord, quicken me according to thy judgments. I'm brought alive by this thing of living in the truth and trusting what you have said, believing what you say to be true. By the way, obedience starts in the heart. Is played out in the actions, mm-hmm. and I think that's a little bit of what's seen right here. Now that reminds me of the story Jesus told, you know, about the father who said, "Go and do this," and the first son said, "I'll do it," and never went. That yep. wasn't obedience. But the second son said, "I won't," and then later on he repents and he he goes and does it. At first, neither one of them were obedient because just saying I will do it is not obedience. But it's when the heart yields. The, the will, our will, to God's will, obedience has begun, and then it's carried out in the action. He's faithful because he remembers the instructions. He's faithful because he's revived by obedience. He's faithful to the word. He's faithful to the word because he says, I adhere strictly, strictly to your law. I do not, verse 157, I do not decline from thy testimonies. And what I, what I see in that or hear in that is I don't soften it. I don't adjust your word to fit what I think it should be. I don't pick and choose. You know, I don't uh, modify you into a God of my own image. I do not decline from thy testimonies. I strictly follow your law. Now, that sounds like legalism or something, but it's not. As we've talked about before,
2: the only liberty we can possibly have is when we stay inside the boundaries of God's word. Right. It's actually the counterpoint to what the Pharisees were really guilty of, who championed themselves as strict adherence to the law, but they really weren't because they had added so much other junk to it that the actual law was long forgotten. What the psalmist here is writing is, look, I don't need to add to your law, but I'm also not going to take away from it. You've given it, and I'm going to pledge to stick right along with what you have provided the guidelines to do. I, I probably
1: need more time to think through the analogy, but as you brought up the Pharisees and how they added so much, I think of a, you know, we use this analogy the other day about a dog running in the yard and, yep. you know, having that perimeter and they can free to go anywhere inside that perimeter. Yes. But once you start adding, what you do is you start shrinking the space, right? And I, I thought of that Pharisee, even the modern day, you know, Pharisee. And, and by the way, let me say this, not all the modern day Pharisees realize they're Pharisees. They right. think they're doing the right thing. But the analogy that I saw in my mind was rather than, let's say, a perimeter that had, you know, five square acres or something to move around in freely, they've added so much stuff in there or so much has been added on them, and they're trying to keep it up that they're living inside like a five-square-foot fenced-in area. Now, what that does, it sounds like, well, you surely can't mess up living there, but the problem is when you get confined into that kind of tight, rigid, legalistic, religious, you know, Whatever terms we want to throw in there, fundamentalism, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to use that term wrongly, but in the negative connotation. how it's
2: used in our current culture. You're living
1: inside that five square foot, and you're looking over the fences then. You're looking over the fences to the people that seem like they're not confined at all. And I'm not talking about other Christians. I'm talking about the danger zone. Now, hopefully you look at other Christians and you learn. But you look at the danger zone of outside God's perimeter at the people that are yucking it up in the world— and you get sick and tired of living in this five square foot, and you just throw it all aside, and you're out there in sin. Right. And I think that analogy would be a helpful one to apply in warning our, our brothers and sisters, live strictly to God's law, not man's laws and traditions.
2: Because then in living in that kind of freedom, when you see the, the yucking it up mm-hmm. of the crowd on the outside— you're better able to see all of the pitfalls and snares and traps that they're just stumbling and bumbling all through because you have the freedom to move. You're content. You know, the verse comes to my mind, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, when you live a life in accordance with God's law and God's law alone, you're able to live content and abound in the life that you have and acknowledge, okay, there may be more quote-unquote freedom in this world but why on earth would I want it? Because look at everything that they are having to trudge and live through in order to live in that freedom. And I'm running around and have joy everywhere.
1: And it reminds us of the great quote by C.S. Lewis from the sermon, The Weight of Glory. And I think, you know, we've referenced this in some formats time and time again over the years, but. Lewis made this statement. He said, "...it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around or fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased." And that's what I thought about is you're saying, you know, looking over the fence at what all they're doing, you know, and really when you're living in that freedom of obeying God, you look at all that stuff going on the other side of the fence and you say, why would I want to wallow in the mud? Man, I got the joys of the Lord right here. And what we do in that case is, again, we don't want to get up there straddling the fence line. We say, are you kidding? I want to run from that Mm -hmm. because right over here, God's got the very best for me. And I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to beat a path back over there. Yes. You know, that, uh, prodigal son, uh, needed to read the weight of glory. It might've kept him from a lot of pain, but thank God by grace and mercy, he came to himself and got out of that mess. And you know what? That's the great thing about grace. Anybody in the mess right now can get out of it that you can come back to the father. And, uh, I love to always point out no questions asked,
2: Yep. just open arms. Hallelujah. I mean, to to anybody that says, ah, you know, you, you Christians, you God followers, what do you have to look forward to? Man, what do we not have? What kind of an offer is that to be able to know that at any point in time, my Heavenly Father, all He's waiting for is for me just to come back to Him? Unmerited love?
1: Yes. You don't have to earn it. How would you like to just be loved because you're loved? Not, even, not because you did anything, earned it, not because you're even worthy of it, but you're
2: made worthy by it. Yes. You're made worthy by God's love. That, that's an incredible thought. And the beautiful thing about that, you know, because I've heard so many counter arguments given of, yeah, but if you live that way, you know, what that does is that teaches people that it's okay to frolic around in sin and just come arrogantly back to the Father. And I beg to differ completely. Because when you're aware of that kind of mercy and grace and love, you don't want to do anything to you know, turn up your nose at that. And the reverence for God actually increases exponentially because you realize how unworthy and how undeserving you are, and it endears you to God that much more. And you don't want to do anything to cross that line. But when you inevitably do cross it, you don't have to wallow around out there, but you can know I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back to my father.
1: It's almost, and this is so elementary, I know, but it's almost just as plain as here. I'm setting before you this glass of swamp water, you know, with some things crawling around and swimming around in it and some muck gathering in the bottom and some slimy green stuff hanging off the side. Or here's you a glass of pure, refined mountain spring water, fresh, well, let's, let's change that. Not Refined, but pure right out of the spring on top of the mountain water. Now, which are you going to take? You'd have to be an idiot. The problem is, until you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you won't know about the right. good water. All you got swamp water. It's sad when a believer goes back to swamp water, but again, the grace of God is sufficient. He can clean you up inside and out, and you can be back on the pure water. Absolutely. The closing thought, 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. He loves the commandments of God and uh, works out pretty good for him. Yes, it does. And uh, that is the conclusion of that discussion on boldness to stand in the Word of God. I hope that uh, today's podcast episode has been a blessing to you, and we'll look forward to being back with you next week here on The Code of Man. Thank you so much for listening.
0: In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. names are control